ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Praise God for his word today. Thank God for all the mercies he's shown us throughout this week. So much going on in our world today. I have just been thinking so much this week and really for some time about the goodness of God and the grace of God, how we take it so much for granted, how we simply just go on about our business, even at times unaware of all that God is doing on our behalf. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 14, says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For, if we, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. May God's blessings accompany the reading of his word. Would you give God praise for the throne of grace this morning? Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its inspiration, your spirit moving in the hearts and the minds of those chosen vessels who were set apart to pass on down the word, the mind, the thoughts of your own heart, of your own mind. Thank you for its preservation, though many have attempted to destroy it, many have attempted to corrupt it, yet it remains your word. Thank you, Lord God. We have it today to read in our own tongue, in our own language, that we might know what you would have to speak to us today. Pray for the one who speaks today, God. Help him, for you know all of his limitations. We pray for those who hear and receive by faith today. Let the word take root. Let it bear fruit. This we ask in Jesus' name, and all agree and say, Amen. Amen. I want to speak to you today about that throne of grace that's been so prominent in my thoughts over the past few weeks and months as we've gone through so many different challenges, so many different uh, circumstances of life that have uh, really at times I marvel. I uh, Sometimes, you know, we, we tend to, we tend to take it, as I said earlier, we tend to take it for granted that we're even still here. I just was marveling uh, just the other day about some things that had happened uh, recently. And I thought, my God, isn't it just, isn't it a testimony to your love and to your mercy that there's even any of us left who know uh, what it is to to know the Lord and to walk with the Lord. I I was you know the world has become so so dark so quickly, and yeah. so many uh, areas of life. I was I was looking at some historical uh, writings uh, from several centuries back, and uh, the author there was just going through a list of all of the turmoil and tribulation and problems that they were facing back then. And, and I thought, you know, it just seems how, like history just repeats itself. <laughs> just see, no matter how far we think we advance, no matter how far we think we come as society, that that same sin problem, that same problem of hard-heartedness and selfishness and lust and greed and, and, and all, of those, uh, all of those things just seem to continue to haunt and trouble the world that we live in. But today I want to talk to you not about the problem, but about the solution. Because I believe we can find grace in our time of need. I really do that. I, I've proven that over and over and over again, that God is a gracious God, a good God. Hallelujah. Who is, uh, who is all about making sure that his people know that he is there with them and he is there for them. This concept of grace is one you've heard many times throughout your life. No doubt you've heard it most of your life if you've been around church. 
You've sung about amazing grace probably a thousand times in your life, if not more. And, and honestly, we could keep on singing it there for a thousand more times uh, because it really needs to sink in how amazing the grace of God is. Some make the mistake of thinking that the grace of God is a new idea or a new, co- a new covenant or New Testament idea, but it's really rooted in the eternal character and nature of God. For all that God is, And all of his dealings with us is rooted in his loving grace. It was by grace he made the world. It was by grace that he built the the world as as a place where we could inhabit, that we could even find, that we even exist to even understand this concept. It's an act of the loving grace of God. He was not compelled. He was not required by any abstract of his own character to, to produce creatures such as us, creatures capable of fellowship, creatures capable of bearing his image. But in his grace, yes. in his grace, yes. he chose you and I before the foundations of the world to even bring us. The fact that you exist, the fact that you have an identity, the fact that you are a being of intelligence, emotion, and will is a manifestation of the grace of God. We take it so for granted. We presume that we are here because of some intrinsic value in ourselves, because we are the, 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 the capstone. We are the highest uh, uh, point of evolution. We are, the, we are what all of nature has been working towards, some may think. We have this grandiose sense of self-importance. And yet our life is but a vapor, our existence but a whim in the heart and mind of God. With one blink of his eye and one snap of his finger, we would cease to exist. One breath from his mouth would be sufficient to put an end to all that we are and all that we could ever be. We go back to that first, the first mention of grace in the Bible is found in Genesis in the story of Noah, when all had fallen apart and the whole world had turned its back on God and God repented of making humanity and he realized that a world of that, of such conditions could continue to exist with one breath of his mouth. He could have wiped it all out, but in grace, He decided to preserve the life of one of those creations. One of those image bearers was chosen. It is a preserving grace. I want you to get that. I want you to understand that before we understand anything else about this throne of grace. We are here and we continue to be here because of the preserving grace of God. Ezra puts it this way. He said, for God has shown us a little grace, because he has left us as a remnant. He has given us a place in his place. He has given us a measure of revival. How many times have we been so close to the end? How many times has so many things conspired against us that one more day seems impossible, and yet God shows up? Time and time and time again to let us know that he is our preserver. He is the one who takes care of us. How many times have we been on the brink of disaster? Have we been on the brink of despair? Have we been on the brink of, of, uh, of ceasing to exist? And yet the grace of God revives us. The grace of God revives us just in time. You have taken my life into your hands. You have rescued me from the pit. I don't know about you, but there have been a lot of pits dug around me in the course of my life. Many snares, many traps have been set. Many times the enemy has sought my life has sought my faith, has sought to destroy me and my reputation, has sought to put me uh, on his his wall, you know, as a trophy. Come on. You know, the enemy takes trophies. Amen. 
He loves to put up the trophies of those who minister the gospel of Jesus Christ that he has taken captive, that he has those who trust in God, that he has that he has broken their faith. And yet every time he has come for me, the grace of God has stood me well, has kept me, has preserved me, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. This is what I will do with shouts of grace, grace to it all. It is a preserving grace. It is a pardoning grace. For no matter how many times I have failed, and I can count them, there are too many to count, how many times I have fallen short of the glory of God, and yet for all my failure, for all my fault, for all my sin, for all my weakness and willfulness and selfishness, the pardoning grace of God has been where sin abounded, grace the more abounded. Oh, it's an abundant grace. You may think you've gone too far. You may think you've done too much. You may think this is it. This is the, finally going to give up on me. But I tell you this, church, it's an abundant grace. It's an abounding grace. The riches of His grace are poured out on us. Though we fail Him, He never fails us. Though we fall, He always picks us up. Though we come short, he always completes that which he has begun in me, that good work. Oh, hallelujah. And it's a good work, church. He's begun a good work in you. He's begun a good work in me. And though sometimes we feel like it's all falling apart, though sometimes we feel like we're just not going to be able to make it one more step, he who began that work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. His grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for thee. It's a sufficient grace. There's more than enough of His grace for God to accomplish every work that He has promised to do in your life. It's a saving grace, a sanctifying grace, a securing grace. A grace that does work in you even when you do not know that it is working. Amen. I have been found for one I was not even seeking. I have been rescued for by one I never even knew to call on. While I was out looking for others, he was looking for me. And when I was going about my own business, he was working out his eternal counsel and his eternal plan in my life. Oh, you have some people, some of us Pentecostals were afraid to speak this way. We like to rely on ourselves. We're a very independent bunch. We like to think it's in the abundance of our prayers or it's in the greatness of our faith or, or it's in all the good works that we do. But I tell you this, what could you pray if there was no throne of grace to come to? How much faith could you have if there was not a good will, a good favoring God who was willing to take you on such conditions? Oh, no. Well, I feel the way pushing back. We have, been, we, have, we have entered in this, in thinking that God is impressed with the fervency, with our religiosity, with our piety. We think God is moved by us, that God has found in us some special treasure something of infinite value, some great worth that he responds to. We preach it that way a lot. We do. We preach it that way a lot. We tell people you can, you can compel God by your righteousness and by your faith. And I agree, and I'm 100% on board that it is faith that brings the grace of God to bear in our life. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But all of the faith in the world would be useless if God was not already predisposed to love us and hear us and care for us. 
All of the good work we would do would be useless if God was not already predisposed, if he had already not decided. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm Wesleyan to my core, Reverend. I'm all about that prevenient grace, that grace that goes before, that grace that accompanying grace. I love that story where Moses said, if you will not go with us, then do not send us from this place. If Moses was a was was a bit uh, he got a he got a boldness with God when he says come boldly to the throne of grace I think he's writing about Moses because Moses got bold with God and said he put his foot in the ground and he said I'm not moving unless you go before me God I'm not leaving this place unless you swear by your name you will not abandon us in this wilderness. God said, I told you my name, Moses, and I've called you my friend. And Moses said, that's great, but I'm still not leaving. Oh, my God, I know I know what Moses is talking about. I'm not getting out of bed. I'm not leaving my house unless I have an absolute confidence that the grace of God goes before me, that God is predisposed to care for me. Faith matters. It does matter. But it, it would not matter if God was not already before the first work of faith, before the first ounce of faith took root in your soul. God had already made up his mind that he would love you and be kind to you and hold you in the gentle embrace. Oh, what a privilege it is. That accompanying grace, that grace that comes along beside us and goes with us throughout our days, in and out, granting us the grace of His presence, His providence, and His power. Think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 84, for the Lord our God is a sun and a shield. He's a sun and a shield. A sun and a shield. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? That means there's certain times of the day where you need to turn the lights on. And then there's times where you need protection from the sun. And he covers both bases. He gives light when it's needed, but when the light gets too hot, he'll put the umbrella up, he'll put the shade up, and he'll cover you in the shadow of the Almighty. Hallelujah. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly before him. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That means it's not just a grace that goes with me, but it's a grace that sets me up for every good thing that has ever happened or ever will happen in my life is assured to me. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. Amen. He is the giver of grace and glory. We can have... This is what boggles my mind. I was, I was just laughing about this throughout this week. I can be a little bit... You, you ever just laugh at yourself sometimes? I, I, I crack myself up sometimes. I'm a funny fellow to me. I don't know if anybody else finds me funny, but I find me hilarious. I will fret and worry and devise strategy for days, for weeks, for months, trying to figure out how to solve a particular issue or problem in my life. I mean, I will lay awake at night, just staring at the ceiling, just tossing to and tossing fro. I'll get aggravated, short-tempered, annoyed, I'll snap at the wife. I'll bark at the dog. Amen. I'll tell my children to get out. Amen. 
I'll go to work in a bad mood and come home in a bad mood, in a worse mood. All because I'm trying to figure this thing out. How is this going to work? How am I going to make it happen? And after all of that fret and all of that worry and all of those plans and strategies and all all those things I think I figured out, I'll wake up one day and God will just have taken care of it while I wasn't even paying attention. While I wasn't even paying attention. God will just say, I don't know what you were so worried about. I told you. I will give you grace and I will give you glory. I'll take care of it if you'll let me. Oh, what a good God. What a loving God. What a kind God. It's an accomplishing grace. It's a grace that performs. It's not a passive grace. It's an active grace. Go back to what the Zechariah, we love to quote it, not by might. Not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Who are you, O mountain? Anybody got any mountains? Who are you, O great mountain? Right? This unscalable, immovable barrier. This this mountain that seems impassable. I mean, have you got an impassable mountain? You've been staring at that mountain so long, you can't even the sun. It, it just you can't see the sun anymore. And you look up at those heights and you say, "It's impossible. I never get past this." Maybe it's something in your life, something in your past. Maybe it's something going on in the family. Maybe it's something going on in your body. Maybe it's something going on in your life. But you're looking at it and you're saying, I can never get past this. I don't have the resources. I don't have, I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the, the right connections. I don't, know, I don't know who to call. I don't know what to do. Who are you, O great mountain, to stand in the way of God's anointed? Before God's anointed, these are the anointed ones, he told Zechariah, that stand at the sides of the gods of the earth. Who are you to stand in the way of God's plan and God's purpose? Before God's anointed, you will become nothing but a plane. Nothing but a plane. For it shall be done. The capstone shall be placed with shouts of grace. Grace, 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 grace. Grace is the action of God. It is what the Spirit, He is the Spirit of grace. A little bit later there in Zechariah chapter 12, I will pour out upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the Spirit of grace. Oh, I pray for that. Pour out on us, O God, the Spirit of grace. Some seek power, some seek authority, some seek fame, some seek influence. I ask God, grace, grace, and more grace. Favor, favor, and more favor. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've walked in to mountains. Mountains at work, mountains at home, and mountains in the church. Impassable mountains, uncrossable mountains, too high to go over, too wide to go around, too deep to go under, too dense to go through. I had to step back and I had to fall into the posture of the Apostle Paul. And I've had to hear the words of Jesus as he said, sufficient is my grace. I will do it. And so we come back to this passage that we started with. What does it mean to come boldly to the throne of grace? The word throne implies authority, power, sovereignty. Make sure we understand this. I know we get hung up, but make sure we understand this. 
The throne of grace is the place of the sovereign power of God. It is where he acts as king, as Lord, as ruler of all that there is. The throne of grace is the uh, throne of grace is the is, is the place where the power of God comes into agreement with the loving kindness of God. It's the place where He has authorized that His power will be used on behalf of and in favor of those who come through His Son, Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. I know we think this Cambodi thing is a way where we can elevate ourselves. But there's only one who can come boldly before the throne of God. That is his son, Jesus Christ. We come to Christ. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we, we have to apologize for asking. When you are told and asked, and we're told to ask what you will. When you are told to come to God and make your requests known. When you are told repeatedly in the scripture that God wants to hear from your heart. I, I know some of you might be a little bit like me in some ways. Hopefully not too many, but some ways. I hate to bother people. I really don't like to bother people. If I'm calling and asking for help, it's because the world is ending. I mean, it's because I have exhausted every possible means. We had a situation yesterday at the house. And I spent, uh, let, me, let, me, let me tell a different story. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I don't want you to, I thought for a minute you were going to, I was going to tell you something that's going to make me look really stupid. And I thought, no, probably not good to tell your people how stupid you were yesterday. A couple of days ago, I was over on the other coast and, one of the drivers that works for me called in. They'd gotten stuck in the middle of the road, dirt road. Now, I'm, I'm budget conscious. So I could have, you know, my, my, the person said, do you, want, do you want me to just call a tow truck? I said, you know what? Tow trucks are expensive. I'm not too far away. I'm about 45 minutes away. I'm going to drive over there and see if I can get you out. I grab a shovel. I grab some wood. You know, I got over there. And I dug for an hour all around the tires. You know how you do? And we took, we took pieces of wood. We took tree branches. We took everything we could to get purchased, and we stuck them under those tires. And when I got there, the tire, the, 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 the one side of the truck was maybe six inches covered, six inches down. By the time we got done with it, it was buried up to the axles. I mean, it was buried up to the axles. Everything we did made it worse. And then I'm sitting there, and I'm getting frustrated, and wouldn't you know it, boom, crack, thunder, lightning. And we in the, we in the middle of the road. We, we, they know where to go. I look up to heaven, and I said, God, how'd you let me get in this spot? God said, it wasn't my idea, son. Why didn't you ask for help? I picked up my phone and I asked for help. A tow truck came out there and what I couldn't do in hours of digging, he did in three minutes. Hooked the cable up, turned the winch on, pulled the van right out of the dirt. And he looked at me and I am covered. I mean, I am covered. Dirt in my hair. Dirt on my face, dirt on my hands, my shirt, my pants, my shoes. I'm walking in it. And he looks at me. And he laughs at me. And he says, why didn't you just call me before you got into all that? And I says, well, I thought we could get it out. You know, you had to save a little pride there. 
Let's have a little pride there. But you know, it's such a powerful lesson to me. I am so reluctant sometimes to ask for what I need. Some of it is self-sufficiency. Some of it is I don't like to bother other people. But really at the root of it all is I don't like looking weak. I don't like, I, I got to be honest with myself about that. I can, I, can, I can dress it up in a bunch of other things, but at the heart of it, I just don't like feeling helpless. I don't like feeling that I need help because of what it says about me. And I'm trying to learn, and as I get older and God helps me, I'm trying to learn that there is no shame in admitting that some things are bigger than you are, that some problems cannot be resolved just by working harder or working longer or praying more or doing this or doing that. Sometimes you've just got to step back and say, God, God, help me. Help me. And when I tell you today, when I tell you that all of our prayer and all of our faith and all of our works and all that we do would be worthless if God was not already on our side. If God was not already waiting to help us. If he was not already favorably disposed to our circumstances. I'll tell you this as well. All that favor and all of that goodwill and all of that desire to help goes wasted if we do not ask for it. If we do not ask for it. The message here today is that throne of power, that throne of grace, that place where the sovereign authority of God comes into agreement with his loving and kind nature. That throne of grace is open and accessible to all who come by the person of Jesus. You don't have to be a great giver. Being a great giver is a good thing, but that's not the requirement. You don't have to be one who shows up for church every single time. Coming to church is a great thing, but that's not the requirement. You don't have to be one that preaches or teaches or leads worship, although those are great things to do, and you should do them if you can. But that's not the requirement. The requirement isn't to be saved for a certain period of years or to be sanctified for a certain period of years. The requirement is not even to be baptized in the Holy Ghost with the speaking of tongues, although those are all good things. Worthy things. Things we should ask for and receive and accept. But the one requirement is that you have to need help. That's all God's looking for. He's looking to spend the riches of his grace and to qualify for those riches in your life. You simply have to be one who admits that you need them. Think about that. If we put this in financial terms today, if I told you that there was a million dollars worth of money to be given away. And the only requirement was you had to have a bill. How many of you would say, I can qualify? I have a bill. I have something that needs to be paid. Well, if you have something that needs to be paid, you qualify. If you have something in your life that only God can do, guess what? You qualify. If you have some burden, some some need, some problem, some situation. Pastor, you don't understand my, my particular set of circumstances. Okay. Let's talk about your particular set of circumstances. Because we all like to think we're unique. Right? I'm as guilty as anybody. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows. Oh, You've got problems, but your problems ain't like my problems. 
I got real problems. You got you problems, but I got me problems. We love, we love, we love to feel special. Nothing makes us feel more special than to have a problem. Because, oh, oh, yeah, come on. I tell you what, I am pitiful. I am pitiful. You know what pitiful means? It means full of pity. And sometimes I am full of self-pity. Right? I know you don't have these kind of issues, but I do. I feel so abused, so abandoned. I just feel like I that, that, that just redheaded stepchild. My father would say, I, I've been beat like a rented mule. I don't know why one beats rented mules, but I guess because they're rented, you can just give them back, right? Like driving a rental car. You go, you treat a rental car a little a little a little rougher than you a car that you gotta take care of yourself, right? So I get so self pity. And I think, man, nobody knows what I'm going through. And the Holy Spirit says, that's because you don't tell anybody. I say, shut up. They're not supposed to, I'm not supposed to have to tell anybody. They're just supposed to know, right? You know how it works? Right? You don't have to tell anybody your problems. If they love you and they're praying for you and they're full of the Holy Spirit, they'll just know what's going on with you, right? No? Doesn't work that way? No. What do you know? I get in my mind, I get in my feelings, I get in my <laughs> Nobody knows what I'm dealing with. It's very dangerous to pick up a Bible at that point. Because if you pick up a Bible at that point, you might just read this verse. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. Don't pick up a Bible if you're in that mood. Because you'll throw the Bible down and you might, wreck, you might ruin something. But when you in that mood and you read that verse, our high priest can sympathize with all of our weaknesses. Our high priest knows what we're dealing with, what we're going through, what's happening. He knows everything about what it means to suffer as we are suffering. And every point, tempted. And every point, suffering. No exclusions. Yet, he did not fall into self-pity. He did not feel like he'd been done wrong. Even though nobody had ever been done more wrong. Because he can sympathize with us in our in any condition where I don't know your problem, but I know one who knows your problem. And I love this word sympathize. This is what grace is all about. To sympathize means to pathos is feeling. It's 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 the state of our mind. Sim is a prefix, which means with. He can feel with us what we are feeling. As we are feeling it, he is feeling it. As we are going through it, he is going through it. When we grieve, he grieves with us. When we hurt, he hurts with us. When we're in pain, he's in pain with us. When we feel hopeless and abandoned, he is right there feeling it alongside of us. Experience it in himself as if it were happening to him, so that when he goes before the throne of grace, he is not asking a favor for a friend, but he is asking for himself. Oh, you didn't get that. You didn't get that. You get that. I'm going to say it again. It is not as if Jesus goes before the Father and says, you see, sister, brother, brother, so-and-so over there, they're having a little problem. Would you mind? Now, that might be sufficient. I'm sure the Father would be saying, okay, but that's not how it works. When Jesus goes before the Father on your behalf, he says, Father, I need. Well, you didn't get it again. 
He didn't say you need, they need, she needs, he needs. He said, Father, I need. This is my body. These are my people. This is my need. Now, God might not listen to you and he might not listen to me, but one thing we've been assured of, he always listens to his son, Jesus Christ. Here is the greatness of the throne of grace. We can come boldly because we know, hallelujah, because we know it is not about our need. It is about him. Anything that Jesus requests on our behalf cannot be denied. It cannot be denied. Oh, how great the grace of God. How glorious the grace of God. Let me close it here. We may come back to this at some point in the future, but let me close it here. The reason why we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And I want to pass over that too quickly because that is the whole message right there. That you have such a God who not only has the power to help you, but is already predisposed to help you. He's already, before you act, he has already decided, he's already decreed from his sovereign place of power before you were even born, before your need ever came into existence, he had already decided that whatever my son asks for on behalf of these people, I am going to grant his request. No? Think of it in the in the reverse. Remember that story where King Herod had John in prison? Remember they came up with that little trap, right? The queen sent the daughter in to dance. And the king, without thinking, says, Whatever you want, I give my word, not knowing what she would ask for, up to half of my kingdom, whatever you ask for, it's yours. And because I'm the king, and because I have set it in my position as the king, it has the force of sovereign decree. In other words, he can't take it back even if he wants to. God in his position as king, as sovereign on the throne, has already issued a decree. Whoever comes to me in the name of my son will obtain mercy and find grace to help them in their time of need. I am the king of the universe. I am the sovereign of all sovereigns. And I decree from eternity past to eternity future, that whoever comes to me in the name of my Son will obtain mercy and find grace to help them in their time of need. I am the sovereign God of gods. The universe is mine to command. All of its creatures obey my will. All of its forces are subject to me. And I have already decided before you even ask, if you're asking for mercy and you're asking for grace to help, the answer is already yes before the words even leave your mouth. Oh, somebody receive this in Jesus' name. You say, Pastor, I can ask for anything. You can ask for mercy and you can ask for grace. It doesn't mean you can go up there and ask for a castle and a Lamborghini and a butler. And a private jet. No, that's not what he's agreed to provide. What he's agreed to provide is mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. What he has sovereignly declared from his throne is that anyone who wants mercy 
and anyone who's in trouble and asks for help, my grace. Hallelujah. And lest you think that is some minor thing, let me go back to where we started. Grace and grace alone is the only reason we still draw breath. Grace and grace alone is the only reason you're in your right mind today. Grace and grace alone is the only reason you could stand up and walk into this room. The grace of God is no small thing. I'll take the grace and favor of God over all of the combined wealth and power of this entire world. I'd rather have God's favor. I go back to that 84 Psalm. It's one of my favorites. One of my favorite lines in all of the Bible is in that song where he says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I love that. All the world could offer me. All the glory he could offer me. And yet, if I had to choose, I'd rather just stand in the presence of God's grace. I don't even have to be up close. I'll stand back here and hold the door, but let me in the presence of God's grace. Because as long as his grace is for me, everything else is going to be all right. The God of the universe, the God who sustained your life, the God who saved you by his grace, the God who sanctified you by his grace, the God who has kept you this far by his grace, the God who will see you all the way through, all the way to the end, by his grace. Oh, I love what Peter says. Let your hope rest in the grace of God. Let your hope rest in the grace of God. My hope my hope isn't in anything this world can offer. My hope is in the grace of God, which shall be revealed at the return of Jesus Christ, Peter said. Brothers and sisters, the king, the one who sits upon the throne, has issued an eternal decree. He has spoken it and he cannot take it back. Anyone who comes to me through my son, Jesus Christ, will obtain mercy and find grace to help in their time of need. Would you stand with me? I hope this emboldens you today. I hope it emboldens your faith to know that you don't have to persuade God. You don't have to twist his arm. You don't have to provide some glorious sacrifice that moves him. That all that needed to be done for him to rule in your favor has already been done. The lamb is already slain. The blood is already offered. All that is needed now is to be one who says, Lord, I need mercy. And I need grace. I need mercy. I can pray. I tell you what, I pray for that all day long. Grant me mercy. Grant me grace. Father God, in the name of Jesus, there's some mountains in this congregation, oh God. Some impassable, uncrossable barriers, some obstacles that are beyond all of our abilities and all of our resources. There are circumstances in these lives today that only, only your grace is sufficient to overcome. And Father, if we were coming to some other kind of God, some kind of God that needed to be placated, that needed to be bribed, that needed to be flattered into granting us favor, we'd be lost. For we have nothing to offer. We have no resources, no wealth, no power, and there's nothing we can do for you, God. You told your servant, if I did want to live in a house, could you build it? The whole heavens are my home. There's nothing we could offer you. There's no sacrifice. There's no gold, no silver. 
There's no rank, no authority. Satan offered you, Lord, the thrones of this world, and even that was insufficient. We have nothing to offer. So if you're a God who needs to be bribed, we are lost. But because you are a God who's already decided to love us, to care for us, and to help us, we come boldly today. Though we have nothing to offer, we know that the offering has already been accepted. We come through the high priest of our confession. We come through your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the son of God. We come in the name of the one who died for us and lives for us to make our supplication and request. We come to obtain the mercy we've been promised. We come to find the grace to help us in our time of need. And Lord, we have such a time of need. We need that grace today. We need that mercy today. Help us, oh God, we pray. Give us the help we need. Give us the mercy and the grace that are so desperately needed to get us through this day and every day. Bless these who appear today, O oh God. Hear their cry. Answer them. Let your grace go before them. Let your grace protect and preserve them. Let your grace secure every promise on their behalf. Let your grace be sufficient to meet every need in their life. Let your grace be abundant so that it radiates from them like the glory of the Lord. No good thing will you withhold. No good thing will you withhold, O oh God, when we come to you and ask for grace. This we ask for in Jesus' name. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 7.45 p.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.